Lord. We'll do some more singing in a few minutes. Now let's get back to our continuing Bible story from the Bible in Living Sound. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. I have seen and bear witness. Behold the Lamb of God. That man? The Son of God? Well, that's what John said, and, and he speaks with authority. I simply cannot believe that that man is the Messiah, the Son of God. And I am sure that the Sanhedrin will not believe it either. But the people believe it. But look at him. He's just a simple person, clad in humble garments, like the rest of the poor people of Israel. Ah, but there is one difference I detect. Look closely at his face. I would describe it as, as divine compassion, blended with conscious power. His face is different. And his eyes and countenance, they are marked with the humility and love, unutterable love. There is an unusual air about him, a manner that is unassuming. But he is not the Messiah. The Messiah is to come as king. He is to restore the kingdom of Israel. But this man has done neither. If he were the Messiah, he would do these things, and we would receive him with joyous ceremony as befits royalty. This is the report we shall take back to the Sanhedrin. John the Baptist had many followers and disciples. Among the latter were two young men named Andrew and John. Yesterday, our master, John the Baptist, pointed to a man named Jesus in the crowd and called him the Lamb of God. I wonder what he meant by that. I've been wondering about that same thing. Shall we ask the master what he meant? Yes. Surely he will give us an answer. Come. Let's go. Yeah. Pardon me, please. Excuse me. Master, Master Andrew and I are wondering about the man you called the Lamb of God. Who is he, Master? He is one of whom I said, After me cometh a man greater than I. As I baptized him, I beheld the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and it abode upon him. He is the Son of God. This man Jesus, then, is the Messiah? He is the... There he is again. Behold the Lamb of God. That's the man, all right, Andrew. And look, look at his face. It, it's lighted with the glory of heaven. He is the Messiah, I, the Son of God. I, I have an impulse to, to follow him. So do I. Shall we seek him out, follow after him? Come, I would listen to his teachings. Andrew and John followed Jesus, awed and silent. Lost in the overwhelming significance of the thought, is this the Messiah? Jesus, leaving the crowd, realized that two men were following him. There was joy in his heart as these two souls responded to his grace. Jesus turned and asked only, What seek ye? Uh, Rabbi, where dwellest thou? We would sit at thy feet and be taught of thee, Master. And there is not time enough to receive thy teachings in a brief interview here by the wayside. So, Master, we ask thee, where dwellest thou? Come and see. And they followed Jesus and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day 
thrilling at his words of truth and hope. It is contrition and faith and love that enable the soul to receive wisdom from heaven. Faith, working by love, is the key to knowledge. And everyone that loveth knoweth God. I've been taught, Master, to expect worldly pomp and power to accompany the coming of the Messiah. But now I begin to understand that the glory of the only begotten of the Father lies in grace and truth. I am come to provide a way of salvation for sinners. My kingdom, an eternal kingdom, is not of this world, but it cometh to all who believe and abound in grace, truth, and love. Simon! Simon! Yeah, it's about time he's showing up. These nets are hard to handle by myself. Simon. Well, what are you Simon. so excited about? Simon, I've been looking everywhere for you. Well, now that you've found me, my brother, let's get these nets in the boat. It's a good day for fishing. No, 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 we're not going fishing. Simon, we have found the Messiah. The Messiah? The one spoken of by the prophets of old? The same. He is the Son of God. We followed him, John and I, and spent yesterday with him. And last night, he is the Messiah, the Son of God. Take me to him. Do you not wish to hear more? No, no, no. Why waste time? I have listened to John, the man of the wilderness, proclaim that the Messiah is among us. If you have found him, take me to him. I, too, would follow him. Master, this is my brother. He wishes also to follow thee. Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Peter, which means a stone. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Philip, follow me. Yes, Master. God, God of the universe, omnipotent God, hear my prayer and guide me in the paths of truth. I was among those, O oh God, who witnessed the man of the wilderness point to Jesus as the Lamb of God. Jesus bears the mark of toil and poverty. Can he be the Messiah? If he be the, the deliverer, O oh God, make it known to me that I may accept him as thy son and worship him in deed and in truth. Many have been the times Philip and I have prayed under this very fig tree. We have searched the scripture to, to discover the truth and... Nathaniel! Well, oh, I thought this is where you would be. Oh, greetings, Philip, my friend. Nathaniel, we have found him. Found him? The Messiah, the one about whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write. It is Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can any good come out of Nazareth? Come and see. <laughs> There he is, Nathaniel, Jesus of Nazareth. Behold, an Israelite in whom is no guile. Uh, we, we've never met, and yet you know me. Before Philip told you about me and called you, when thou wast still praying under the fig tree, I saw thee. Rabbi, thou art truly the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, thou believest in me. Thou shalt see greater things than these. 
Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. We'll continue the Bible story tomorrow. And if you would like to have these stories to listen to at home, you can call the Bible in Living Sound at 1-800-634-0234. That's 1-800-634-0234. Now here's some more music before we have to say goodbye. for bed? Mom, I'm mad. At whom? God. Do you think he minds? <laughs> He's probably used to it. What's the problem? The fall festival banquet at school is just two days away and I'm catching a cold. I know I am because my head hurts and my throat feels like I swallowed sandpaper. Oh dear. Let me make you some warm herbal tea. Mom, I prayed and asked God to help me not be sick this year like I was last year. But did he hear me? No. Wait a minute. Didn't you go to school without your jacket yesterday? I hate my jacket. Nobody wears that style anymore. And didn't I see you eating ice cream and cake two nights in a row before you went to bed? Mom, I'm a growing girl. I need nourishment. And didn't I remind you to wash your hands after we came back from shopping on Monday? Hey, I hadn't been playing in the dirt. No, but you had been pushing a shopping cart where I told you flu viruses love to wait for their next victim. So God isn't powerful enough to protect me from cold winds, ice cream, and shopping carts? He sure is. He's also loving enough not to interfere when we do dumb things that make us sick. He gives us freedom, but he doesn't reward us when we choose to do what we know can do us harm. Prayer is a two-way street. We have to do our part. Okay, okay, I get what you're saying. I didn't do my part. Well, I'm going to do mine. You just lay back and I'll bring you some tea. And you might want to thank God for allowing you the freedom to learn from your mistakes. Thanks, Mom. Jesus wants to be our friend. He has placed in our hearts a desire to share our deepest secrets and brightest hopes with Him. This program was brought to you by the Children's Ministries Department of the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. and girls, this is Ms. Kathy. 
I'm so happy you've joined me today for another story just for you. Danger at Midnight by Steffi Adams. Iowa, July 6, 1881. 15-year-old Kate Shelley gathered the damp clothes into her apron and raced toward the cottage. That was close, she said as a fat raindrop plopped smack dab onto the top of her head and rolled down the center part in her long brown hair. Kate scurried into the cottage just as the darkening sky spilled open. Slamming the door and bolting it against the wind, she ran to the window. There, she joined her younger sisters, Mamie and Margaret, and her brother John to watch the sheets of slanting rain pour from black boiling clouds. The old clock ticked away the hours and still the rain fell. In the blinding flashes of lightning, Kate watched gentle Honey Creek transform itself into a swollen, rushing monster. Mother, you should see the valley. It's like a huge bowl filled with water, Kate said. She shivered. You don't think the trains will be making their runs, do you? Mrs. Shelley pushed a strand of hair off her flushed forehead and glanced up from the sizzling pan on the cook stove to answer her daughter. Then, seeing jagged streaks of lightning through the window, she shut her eyes and stopped up her ears with her index fingers. Oh, I hate thunder, she said. That next one's going to be close. Sure enough, a series of booming thunderclaps shook the cottage. When the rumbling skies were calmer, Mrs. Shelley opened her right eye, then her left. Thank God we're still safe, she told the children. We'll just hope and pray that no one is out in this storm. The hours crept by as the Shelleys watched and prayed for the storm to end. The clock was striking 11 p.m. when Kate suddenly cocked her head toward Honey Creek Bridge. Mother, listen. Did you hear that bell? Kate asked. There it goes again. That couldn't be a train, could it? In this storm? As she spoke, they heard a thundering, earth-shaking crash, followed by the terrible hissing of steam. Even the raging winds took notice and were shaken into a grave-like stillness. Oh, mother, it's number 11. They've gone down Honey Creek Bridge, Kate shouted. Someone must help them. She thought for a moment, then squared her shoulders. I must help them. Mrs. Shelley shook her head and gathered the frightened younger children around her rocker. I can't let you go out in this storm, child. I lost your brother by drowning, and I don't intend to lose you, too. But what if I can save someone's life? Shouldn't I even try? Kate asked. She picked up a small miner's lamp and hung it in the frame of an old lantern. Mrs. Shelley grabbed Kate's arm. Child, you can't even swim. Why, you're deathly afraid of water. How do you expect to help anyone? What am I to do, mother? If Pa and James were alive, they'd go. But they aren't here. Don't you see? I have to go. Kate began filling the lamp with kerosene. Seeing the worry lines engraved on her mother's face, she said, Haven't you always taught us that God makes strong the weakest? And he makes the poorest of us able to endure much for his merciful purposes, Mrs. Shelley said, finishing her favorite saying. The worry lines were completely erased and her face grew peaceful. Yes, I believe that, Kate. She handed Kate an old straw hat and added, Go then, in the name of God, and do what you can. We'll pray God to keep you from harm. Kate kissed her mother and unbolted the door. Now don't fret, I'll be just fine, she said. Bracing herself against the fierce, screaming winds, she lifted her skirt and splashed out into the rising waters. When her eyes had adjusted to the inky blackness, Kate scrambled up the steep bank behind the cottage. Nearby, she saw a section of track that had not been flooded by the rushing muddy water. Swinging her lantern before her, Kate stumbled blindly down the tracks toward the collapsed bridge. 
Minutes later, Kate stood beside the swaying sections of Honey Creek Bridge. Is anyone down there? She shouted into the howling wind. A burst of lightning lit up the steaming, twisted wreckage, and Kate spied two men in the floodwaters 25 feet below. Both men were hanging onto the overhanging branches of stout trees. Frantically, Kate swung her lantern from left to right. Yoo-hoo! she yelled. Here I am, up here! One of the men saw Kate's lantern and called out to her again and again. Each time his words were muffled by the whistling wind and the crack of thunder. Hoping that he would understand her, Kate yelled, I'm going to Moingona for help. Hang on, I'll be back. Slipping in the cool, oozing mud, Kate muttered, What have I gotten myself into? She trembled at the thought of the one and one-fourth mile trip to the station house and of the swollen Des Moines River that lay between her and the town. At that instant, a terrible thought flashed through Kate's weary mind. The pusher that had crashed had been checking the tracks between Moingona and Boone. That means the Midnight Express will be coming into Moingona soon, she thought. I've got to warn Agent McIntyre about the danger. Holding the lantern above her head, Kate ran down the path beside Honey Creek. With every passing second, her heart pounded harder until she thought it would surely burst. What time is it, she wondered aloud. Oh, dear God, let me make it in time. Precious minutes flew by as Kate followed the lantern's faint flickering beam. What if the train should catch me on the bridge? No, I won't think of that. In a sudden flash of lightning, Kate saw the 500-foot Des Moines River Bridge just ahead. Overflowing with foul-smelling rubbish and broken fence posts, the river slapped at the bridge's unprotected railroad ties. At every movement, the swaying timbers groaned as if in pain. Kate stiffened her back and took a deep breath. She put one foot on the slippery bridge and, holding out her arms, balanced herself like a tightrope walker. Now don't look down, Kate, she whispered. As she stepped onto the bridge, a gust of wind playfully fingered the lantern's tiny flame, then snuffed it out. Kate sucked in her breath and froze in the sudden darkness. God makes strong the weakest. Instantly, her mother's saying captured Kate's runaway thoughts. She felt the prayers of her family covering her like one of mother's homemade quilts. Trusting in God, Kate knelt and began crawling along over the rough wooden railroad ties. Time after time, Kate's bulky, sopping wet skirt caught on bent nails, and she had to brace herself to keep from falling into the raging waters below. Sharp splinters jabbed into her bloody knees. Still, she ignored the beating winds and crawled inch by painful inch across the bridge, every breath a prayer for her safety and for the lives of those on the train. Kate was almost halfway across the bridge when a burst of lightning lit up the angry floodwaters around her. There, in the swirling waters, Kate saw a monstrous uprooted tree hurtling toward the bridge. She gripped the rail so tightly that her knuckles turned deathly white. Oh, God, she prayed, help me. She shut her eyes, waiting for the terrible collision sure to come. Foam and icy water sprayed over her as the tree's branches scraped the bridge. The bridge itself pitched from side to side like a bucking bronco while Kate held on with all her might. As she prayed, the bridge heaved and the tree shot forward under it, leaving the wobbly bridge unharmed. Kate's legs felt as useless as wet noodles. Still, she inched her way toward solid ground. She could have cried with relief when she finally crawled off the bridge, but picking herself up, she sprinted the fourth of a mile to the station house. Stop the express! Honey Creek Bridge is out! Kate shouted when she finally burst into the station house. The men just stared at the wild-eyed, dripping figure. 
The girl's touched in the head, night operator Ike Fansler said, shaking his head. Agent McIntyre disagreed. It's Mike Shelley's oldest daughter, he said. The girl ought to know. Quickly, Ike sat down at the telegraph keys while another worker rushed to light the red warning lantern beside the tracks. Nearby, a waiting engineer blew the whistle of his own sidetracked pusher engine. As the shrill whistle pierced the night, sleepy townsmen poured from their houses carrying ropes and shovels. Kate, do you feel up to going back with us? Agent McIntyre asked. I'll try, sir, Kate said. Her head was throbbing, and she really wanted to lie down between crisp, sun-dried sheets. But for now, she had a job to finish, and with God's help, finish it, she would. Kate did finish the job. Before the night was over, she watched the townsmen rescue both the engineer and the brakeman of the wrecked pusher engine. Not until days later, when the searchers had discovered the bodies of the last two crewmen, did Kate collapse. For many days, Kate hovered near death. She knew nothing of the poems and the newspaper articles being written about her. When she awoke and her mother told her about the excitement, Kate just said, Imagine that, me, a heroine. Yes, Kate Shelley was a national heroine, and people could not thank her enough. From the Grateful Express passengers came several hundred dollars. The railroad company and its employees rewarded Kate with a gold watch and a lifetime pass to ride the trains. Even people whom Kate had never met helped the Shelleys. In 1882, the Iowa General Assembly voted to give Kate a gold medal and $200. The Chicago Tribune collected money to pay off the family's debts, while Francis Willard, the temperance leader, raised enough funds to send Kate to Simpson College. Kate didn't expect all the fuss to last, but in 1903, 22 years later, people still remembered her. When she became station master at Moingona, a train always stopped at the cottage to take her to and from work. And at her death in 1912, the railroad company sent a special train to carry her family and friends to the funeral. Today, a sturdy bridge, the Kate Shelley Bridge, spans the Des Moines River at a spot four miles from the site of Kate's Crossing. On the bridge is a plaque which reads, Hers is a deed bound for legend, a story to be told until the last order fades and the last rail rusts. Kate Shelley is still remembered. The story you have heard today is from Guide's Greatest Stories, written by various authors and compiled by Randy Fischel, and used with permission from the Pacific Press Publishing Association. If you're interested in any other books published by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, please visit AdventistBookCenter.com or call 1-800-765-6955. This podcast is a production of the Carolina Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Let the children come. Don't dare drive them away. And then the kingdom comes. Hear the holy foolish things they say. The springtime of their life decides the adults they'll become. So let the children come. Children's Bible Journey was brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio and is a production of Lifetalk Radio at lifetalk.net.